After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy, and we are coming to you from Omaha. It is Wednesday, June 23rd. We have made it through the first two rounds of the College World Series. The The, the first two teams have been eliminated. We're, we're into uh, losers bracket, uh, you know, the middle, middle part of the week where the the Guys are trying to come, teams are trying to come out of the losers bracket to reach the bracket finals, which uh, of course are held on third on Friday, not on Thursday. So we're uh, we're in the middle of this thing here. Uh, this is kind of like the the it's not the actual midpoint of the World Series, like that that happens a little bit later, but it, it's kind of like the the unofficial midpoint as you know we we go we 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 we've started eliminating teams. We don't have a finals yet, but we're we're working our way towards that. So we're going to break down the action from Omaha so far and talk a little bit about what you can expect to see the rest of this week. So that's what we're going to get into today on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, uh, like I said, we're in Omaha and they're playing baseball. We've had really nice weather here the last few days. It's uh, it's good to be back. I, I, people have asked me, what's it like to be back there? You know, you've been gone for two years and whatever, and I just have kind of said like it's like we never left in a lot of ways that you just slide right back into a lot of the routines yes some things are different but i don't know for me uh omaha like yeah i was gone for two years but it's uh it's just such a you know what to expect out here and everything that the play has been just as good on the field the the fans have been just as good in the stands the you know, the people of Omaha have been as welcoming as ever. I, I wouldn't know that there had been a two-year break if I didn't know there had been a two-year break. Yeah, I kind of agree. It it really did feel like just kind of riding a bike, you know, getting back to it. And it, it did feel kind of natural. And, and that's even for me, someone who doesn't have as much history coming here as you have. You know, you've spent more years covering it than in person than I have. But even for me, like it, you know, it just really felt like 
very, very familiar. Like the, the whole right down to just like the process of the, the procedural things that we have to go through, like, you know, where to park and we walk up to the stadium and then we get our bags checked and then the, the walk to the media elevator, like all that kind of stuff just felt very, very familiar. And it does feel like a little bit of a more muted version of uh, some of the stuff. There's no interactive zone this year, like right outside the, the stadium where you have, you know, kind of your typical stuff you see at NCAA sponsored events, like a speed pitch thing and a little batting cage set up. And, you know, there's an MC like up there on the stage talking about, you know, whatever they've got, event they've got going on. So that is not there. And, um, you know, the, the, the uh, so outside the stadium, like there's not quite as much commotion going on, but, but a lot of the, the benchmarks of Omaha are still there. There's still the, the parking lot tailgating, which has been good. It's still a nice walk from the, the parking lot to the stadium with all those smells wafting through the air. It's still, you know, the, the, the throngs of crowds, um, making their way up to the stadium every day. So that it still does feel like, you know, we talked about this before we showed up here, how much it would feel like the college world series. And, and I'm here to say, like, as, as you're saying that it really does feel like the real thing, even if there are little hints here and there that this is a, just a little bit different from what we're used to. I uh, wasn't sure quite how much fan interaction there would be. And um, that's been one thing that's been, uh, been fun to see is just how much fan interaction there can be. You see after games, uh, you know, guys signing autographs or talking to folks in the stands. Um, during the game, you know, the, the fans are, are getting on the outfielders or, you know, they're having fun with the outfield, whatever, whatever goes on out in the outfield, you know, the beach balls still show up on the field and players poke holes in them with their cleats or uh, toss, try and toss them back up into the stands. All of that, all that's still there. And, you know, last night uh, after the Mississippi state game, you know, a throng of Bulldogs fans greeted the team as, as they got back to the hotel uh, it looked like it was it was an absolute scene there at, at the Hilton, um, you know, celebrating that win. You know, so I, all, all of that just is uh, it, it just feels feels a lot like like Omaha. I mean, we even had a uh, a, a person run onto the field already. You know, that's uh, that's a, another Omaha tradition. I feel like somebody yeah, running nature, onto the field. Nature is healing for sure. And uh, the the grads crew did what they do, you know. They uh, they, they they didn't hold back. I, I wondered this year, you know, if they would uh, still tackle the guys like they usually do, or if they would try and, a different tactic. Nope, they're they're still out there tackling anyone that runs onto the field. So keep that in mind if you're considering running onto the field. Don't do it, and don't do it in part because the grads crew is going to let you out. All right. So Joe, I um, you, know, you mentioned what the scene has been like a little bit outside the ballpark uh, and you had the opportunity to wander around the Omaha baseball village, the, the place where the, the vendors are and everything. And I frankly haven't spent a whole lot of time out there yet. That, that's coming later in the week for me, but what, what did you think uh, of the, the, the baseball village this year? I mean, first of all, it was a good weather day to do it. It's a nice mid seventies day with some breeze and it was on Monday. So some of the crowd, you know, the, the first weekend brings the biggest crowds and, and the crowds are still pretty good Monday and Tuesday. Cause that's that, you know, every team is guaranteed to play through, you know, depending on what, what side of the bracket you're on Monday or Tuesday. But those, once you get out of that first weekend, there's a little less of a crush of people. So I went, you know, and out there on a good weather day and, and milled around and um, that part felt pretty normal um, right down to the fact that there is no better place 
like once you get like, so it, the way it generally works, it seems to me, and I don't know, I've not seen the, the economics of this. I've not seen the, the way they lay this out, but it seems to me that the kind of the, the you know, the, the biggest setups, the most corporate setups, if you will, the official NCAA stuff tends to be kind of front and center when you get in there. But if you keep going to the baseball village, like you will come across some of the more offbeat stuff and there's no better place as we joked about in the press box the other day, to get a Matthew Barzell New York Islanders jersey and a T-shirt from the 2016 Sugar Bowl in one place. It really is incredible, some of the variety you see in these places. You know, if you, if you really go to the back, you can get, you can, you can really uh, beat the bushes and, and find some, some offbeat stuff. A lot, a lot of stuff from this year's uh, Final Four. I don't know if that has anything to do with the fact that they had smaller attendance at the final four reduced capacity or, or what it is that they, they didn't sell as much merch but if, if you've been jonesing for that koozie from the final four then i've got exactly the place you ought to go uh the other thing that i noted uh look it's 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 real easy to especially this week by the way um it's really easy to take shots at the ncaa i would say the most damning thing that i could ever say about the ncaa is that they seem incapable fundamentally incapable of creating a, an attractive official college world series hat it seems like there are two extremes you get the hat that has too much stuff on it like it has the logo on the front but then it has like the 18 logos either running up like the sides of the hat or on the back of the hat or you've got like the flat bill hat that like just says three letters cws or and maybe cws 2021 like across the front in huge giant letters and there's like nothing in between and like, I, I just want a nice, like simple hat that has like a CWS logo. And, and look, the fact that they use the generic CWS logo year after year now, instead of an, a new one each year, that's a whole different, whole different deal, a whole different topic for another day. But it just, it, it's a, it's astonishing. Like, you know, I wear hats all the time, especially when I'm covering games and I'm always looking for hats to get into the rotation. And the idea that I do this for a living and also am in the highest affinity group for college baseball. And the fact that I don't have like a college world series hat in my rotation, I think is probably the biggest indictment of the hats that the CWS puts out there year after year that I can give you. The, uh, the official merch is always an interesting uh, conversation around, you know, hat shirt, whatever for a while you couldn't get a shirt. I felt like with, um, without there being a little logo over your, uh, your, your heart, and like the big stuff on the back and i was just like but, but why why can't you just have like a plain front if you're going to put all the stuff on the back or whatever anyway um it's challenging i'm sure to be a clothing designer not here to do their job for them uh but let's let's work on it let's work on it <laughs> i mean it's got like they're limited like i'll i will acknowledge their limitations right because they're only the NCAA is only you know you can only use the official logo okay got it the team logos are the team logos got it um, so I, I get that there are kind of some limitations there, but, um, you know, I still saw some, some decent stuff. Don't be wrong. The shirts are a little better because you can play around with them a little bit, but, I, but I'm with you. It's all pretty generic stuff, which, you know, it, it obviously sells. Like they don't have any problems slinging merchandise at this event. That is something that they really have down pat. If, if the crowds of people in the baseball village walking around with uh, shopping bags are any indication. That is absolutely true. 100%. <laughs> All right, so Joe, let's uh, let's get into the on-field play here. That's uh, that's what we're all here for. The accoutrements are nice, but the uh, the main thing is the main thing, and that here 
is the play on the field. So we're going to talk about North Carolina State. We're going to talk about Mississippi State and how they advanced to the bracket final. We're, uh, we're going to talk about some of the teams that, that or some of the teams. We're going to talk about Arizona and Tennessee, the teams that have already been eliminated and everything in between here uh, in just a second. Um, but first, Joe, I, I guess let's start with the, uh, the, the games that we're going to see here over the next couple days. Let's start with the question of who is most likely to come out of the loser's bracket. And I don't really want to address like who's going to win tonight on Thursday night. Cause you know, that that's not the most interesting thing here, but who among these four teams that are, are, are playing with a loss still. So that's um, Virginia and Texas and Vanderbilt um, and uh, <laughs> who is Vanderbilt playing tonight. Um, that's, for, that's Virginia and Texas and Stanford and Vanderbilt. So who among those teams, Joe, do you feel good about saying they've got a real shot to, to play next week in the CWS finals, which of course means you know, winning three straight games here. So it's funny because it, it kind of depends on what, so I will give a real answer here. This sounds like I'm getting ready to give you like a, a caveat filled answer, but I, I do have a real answer here, but I think it's, it's interesting that I think on paper you would look at seeing the two teams that are sitting at 2-0 right now, NC State and Mississippi State, and based on a lot of things, including you know overall talent level or the way that high, how highly they've been ranked this year or whatever metric you want to use, like Mississippi State seems like the tougher ask there. Now, whether or not it is at this point is a different question, but that would be the way you'd tend to go. So you'd think, okay, the team that faces NC State maybe is in a little bit of a better place. And I think that's valid when you consider that you know, NC State, you know, you can, you can, they are one of those teams that we've talked about that has a pretty good pitching play in the first couple of days. And the third game is, gets a little dicey. So there is that. But th- that being said, the two teams on the other side in Virginia and Texas, I think are better set up to come through this thing. Those are the two teams that you look at and you say, you know, those teams really have the type of pitching depth you need. Now, nobody really has the pitching depth to win all of those games, like, and do so very cleanly. That's just not a thing at the college level anyway, that the, the teams have that much pitching. But those are the two teams you look at as, as being able to do that. And I really, you know, I like Texas of that bunch where, you know, they, they still have, you know, Pete Hansen ready to start. And then they still have a couple of quality bullpen arms that haven't thrown yet. You know, they and so if they need to extend, and, and by the way, you know, Cole Quintanilla, one of those bullpen arms, has been a starter before. You know, he's not really stretched out this year, but he's a guy that if you hold him back for another day, like he could give you some quality innings perhaps as a starter. So they, I think that team is really set up pretty well here to where like, sure they lost a game, but they lost it in the best possible way. If you're going to lose an opening game by getting a great start and just getting outpitched basically. So you didn't really tax anything. And, and they didn't even use the relievers because they used Hanson who had it pitched in super regionals because they swept and then they knew that they'd, wouldn't need him for a few days. They only used him for two innings. They just got him some action. Yeah. I mean, so if you're going to take a loss, that's how you want to take it. You know, if you were forced to take one, like that's how you draw it up basically. So they go back to Hanson likely, and then they've got that bullpen basically rested and ready to go. And so I think Texas is the answer here. And I think that's the, I think that's kind of the the trendy answer here. You know, there's, there's been a, a little bit written and talked about here and there about like, you know, still feeling pretty good about this, this Texas team coming through that bracket. And I think it's for good reason. So I personally, you know, I, obviously I said 
Texas at the start of this thing was my national title pick. So, I mean, on some level, I still feel okay about it, but I, I do wish that Texas had played on Saturday as opposed to Sunday, because you know, that would give time add in an extra day. You know, so if they, if they win their third game with Hanson, I don't know what they would do on Friday. Are you bringing time add in back on two days shorter rest than he's used to? Are you doing something else? And some of this may depend on how they would like come through in terms of, of the pitch and stuff. Like, do you, do you try and, and finagle your way through Friday, knowing that you would then have Madden close to fully rested on Saturday and feel good about that aspect? You know, I don't know. I, and I don't think Texas knows yet either. I, again, I think some of that's going to depend on what the, the bullpen situation would be coming out of Thursday if, if they do beat Virginia. Um, I, I think it should be said that Virginia uh, also is going to feel good about their pitching situation going into Thursday. Yeah, they used a mess of relievers at the end of uh, their game Tuesday night, but their bullpen hasn't really been taxed. They used um, you know, one reliever in, in the first game uh, and then nobody for very long in the, in the second game. They still have Mike Vassell ready to go um, in, in this third game. So I, you know, I, I, I think that that's that those two set up very well. I, the, the Vanderbilt situation, um, you know, if they can just win one game, then they can go back to rocker. And then I don't know if they would go back to lighter again, that would be pitching on a little bit shorter rest or if they'd have to finagle it, but um, they, because lighter pitched the eight innings, um, they didn't play ninth. He went CG. Their bullpen duo of Murphy and Maldonado should be fully rested. Chris McElvain only threw the one inning uh, in the opener. He'll be ready to go. So they've got a lot of options to get through their third game. I mean, yeah, we've talked a lot about how does Vanderbilt have a Sunday problem and, you know, what are they going to do? Patrick Riley, Christian Little, like, no matter who it is, I, I think they're just going to be back in them with a lot of bullpen pieces. Um, you know, so I, I, I think they, uh, you know, they still look pretty good. Stanford is the one team here that has the least pitching, but they have perhaps the best offense. So if it, if they can muddy these games up, then, you know, they, they'll feel probably okay about it as well, but that, that would probably be the team that everyone's going to say, uh, has the least chance just based on the fact that, that they have the, the least pitching to begin with. Yeah. I mean, obviously with Vanderbilt being my national title pick, you know, it was a tough scene that, you know, they basically come like, you know, one hit away or a couple hits away from, from winning that game and lighter throwing a, a gem and a win and, and, and moving on. But I think there is something kind of poetic about the fact that we've been asking this Vanderbilt team all season long to prove to us that, if you lose one of the rocker lighter games, like, can you win a deciding game three? And this is obviously not the game that will come later tonight as we record, like is not a decider. Like they still have to do things if they win this game, but it is in essence that, and because if they lose, they're leaving. So I do think there is some, kind of some poetry in the fact that this team that we've been asking this of time and time again, this season, and has sometimes given us positive answers and has sometimes been shaky in those moments. I think it's, um, I think it's, there's something to be said for that their season coming down to this 
and having to pass this test again because it feels like that this was the best way for them to kind of prove themselves, if you will, as 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 a true among the national title favorites, being able to kind of buck this um, stereotype they've had about this season where it's you know shaky on the third game. Yeah, I mean, I I think this was always going to happen, you know, on some, at some point, whether it was this or whether it was in the finals, it was, it was always going to come like th- this was always inevitable. Um, you know, at some point, maybe it would be, have been in Super Regionals. They would have been in a position where they needed it. And now here we are. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I, I, I think, though, that it's the, the format here being up you know, being one of the teams that's 2-0, being NC State or Mississippi State is a, such a significant advantage right now that it wouldn't surprise me at all if both of those teams just just went through and, you know, won on Friday even and, you know, made made quick work of, of the whole whole situation and, and just got to the finals. But I also still feel like, you know, and I, and I think my my belief on this has only been increased having been out here and watched these games. These teams are all pretty evenly matched. It feels like there's not a whole lot of separating going on. There's been a lot of really close games, you know, a few blowouts here and there, but, but for the most part, these games have been really tight. And, you know, if you told me that neither Mississippi state and NC state made it, like I would be a little surprised just because of the format, but I also wouldn't be stunned. Uh, I, I just think that's an indication of how closely matched these teams are and how again, again, just how little separation I feel like there, there is between, between these teams. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, it, it has felt like this has been a really, we've had a couple of games, you know, that, that have gotten a little bit out of hand, but for the most part, it has been, it has been really tight. I think that's, um, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it, you know, it would not be a shock to see the two and O teams just kind of continue to, to move on. But like, this is a year where really in terms of the, if necessary games, everything feels like it's on the table in terms of having zero games on the, if necessary day one or two. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's move on here to, to some of the, to, to some talk about NC state and Mississippi state, which are the two teams that are two and O waiting for the bracket finals on Friday. So we'll get to that here in a second. But first, check this out. All right, Joe, like I mentioned, North Carolina State and Mississippi State are the two teams that started here 2-0. I don't know who had that on the um, prediction board. Probably not a whole lot of people. Uh, but that is that is the way it is. Let's start with Mississippi State. That one's a little fresher in our minds as we record this on Wednesday, I would assume, since they played on Tuesday night. Um, and they, uh, they, they've they played two really kind of classic games here in Omaha, I think it's fair to say. You know, they, uh, they, they win last night against Virginia, six to five. They scored six runs in the eighth inning after getting no hit for seven innings. And that was enough to uh, to knock off UVA. Griff McGarry was outstanding for for the Hoos, but it wasn't quite enough to hold the Mississippi State offense down. That's always a tough thing to do. Virginia nearly pulled it off, but wasn't quite able to to seal the deal at the end. And then Mississippi State in their first game beat Texas and Ty Madden, an All-American, a projected first round projected top 15 pick even uh, they beat him and Texas two to one 
Uh, that game was very close. You know, Texas had the go-ahead run um, going forward. And, and, and they had the tying run on third base in the ninth inning, and I think the go-ahead run was on first base. Uh, so they, they definitely made that as tight as it could be. But again, Mississippi State found a way. Will Bednar was outstanding, 15 strikeouts in six innings, and then Landon Sims comes in, throws the final three to uh, to shut the door. I, this Mississippi State team has done just a little bit of everything, I feel like, to, to this point. You know, they, you've seen the way their offense can operate. You saw that against Virginia. They scored six runs all in one inning, and it was kind of like this perfect Mississippi State offense inning. Starts with a Scotty DeBrule grinding out an at-bat for a walk in a, an at-bat. He started off in the count 0-2. He grinds that all the way to a walk. They uh, they they hit some a couple balls hard. They hit a couple balls out. Just they kept the line moving. And it, they they wind up with, with six runs on the board. So you saw their offense, you saw their pitching at times. You know, Will Bednar striking out 15 in six innings. Uh, you saw the the strength of their bullpen in Sims, but also just the strength of their bullpen against Virginia. They used seven relievers uh, because Christian McLeod got knocked out in the second inning. So they uh they they had to show off the strength of the bullpen there. And you've seen some good defense from them. You saw Cameron James flipping over the the railing going into a photo well, um, you know, just absolutely selling out to, to catch a foul pop-up. They, they've, they haven't asked a ton of their infield because they've had so many strikeouts, but uh, anytime that it has been asked, the, the Mississippi state defense has delivered. It's um, it, it's been an impressive showing for the dogs. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it's been in it's kind of, as you allude to, it's been in classic Mississippi state fashion. And by that, I mean, you know, in the first game, they get a gym from, from Bednar. And, you know, if they continue to this bracket, Bednar will throw again. And like, it's during the regular season, like he would show that. And then the next time it'd be a little bit shakier. And so um, it was kind of not knowing what we were going to get necessarily from him coming into the game. And then for him to show that like was, was obviously um, exhilarating for them, but it, you know, it is a little bit of a, just a, a pleasant surprise. I would, I guess I would say for Mississippi state because the up and down nature of both he and McLeod this year at times. And then you, of course you get the flip side of that with McLeod's start, but I think that again is kind of a trait of this Mississippi state club, which is okay. This didn't work, you know, let, let's figure it out. So they use seven relievers and the offense, you know, Griff McGarry is, is just twirling a gym, takes a no hitter into the eighth inning and they just kind of find a way. I mean, we talked about this a lot earlier this season, especially early when we we didn't quite know yet that Arkansas was Arkansas, right? Like it, we knew they were good, but like we, we didn't know they were going to be as good as they were early on. We thought maybe Mississippi State was in that mix is, is maybe the best team in the SEC. And they still came close, but like some of us on this podcast might have might have just given Mississippi State the edge in that series. I don't know. That That's a yeah. rumor. You know, things change. Yeah, I've, I have not heard. I can't confirm that. I've not heard that. So, <laughs> But, you know, anyway, long story short is like, but the thing, I think one of the things we struggle with Mississippi State was kind of what to wrap our hand, arms around a little bit on like what to grasp on, like why this team was as good as they had been and as successful as they had been. And the thing that we kind of came back to is like this team just kind of finds a way to win whatever type of game it needs to win. And in that second game, we saw that that's an ugly game. And they just had a six spot in one inning. And then that was all they really needed. That was the opening they needed. They got it done. 
They, they've so, scored in two innings. They've played 18 right. innings here. They've scored in two. Right. Yeah. I, so talk about finding a way. You know, you just get shut down in whatever, 16 of your 18 innings, and then you, you find a way in the two innings you need it. So um, impressive, resilient performance. That's probably the best word for it. Um, but that's kind of par for the course for this Mississippi State team because you talk about, you know, what their offense can do. And I think, you know, I, I so I agree that, like, their offense can do these kind of impressive things. And opposing teams have to be wary of that, but opposing teams don't have to be wary of that in the same way they have to be wary of Stanford's offense or even NC state's offense at times. But it's just because when, when we get to the business end of a game, like that seems to be when their offense is best and you don't want to see Rowdy Jordan. You don't want to see Tanner Allen, you know, come up in those big moments because this team just finds ways to get those big hits time and time again and some of that is the duty noble magic. We, we talk about how they seem to create magic there, but like clearly it translates other places too. And that's what we saw the other night with the, 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 when they just captured. Yeah. I, they, um, they don't have the loudest offense here necessarily. Like they, they don't, their leading home run hitter has 14 home runs. They don't have you know, Tanner Allen is maybe the best pure hitter in the country. If you ask Mississippi state hitting coach, Jake Gotro, he'll tell you Tanner Allen's the best, best pure hitter in the country. And, I don't know that I have a, a strong disagreement with that, but you know, outside of him and Rowdy Jordan, it's not a bunch of guys sitting 350 plus. You know, I mean, of course it's not playing the SEC. <laughs> you're not, you're not gonna, not gonna have that. But it's, um, it's not an offense that manufactures it, like speed. You know, it, it's not like a, you know, there's some offenses out there like a, like a Louisville that you know, they get on base, they're looking to run. They're always looking to take the extra base. They're looking to force the issue. Like, it's not that kind of pressure offense. They just, they, they all grind at bats. Like that, that's the thing that Mississippi state does. They, they don't take at bats off. They aren't easy outs ever. And at least not when they're, they're going right. They aren't easy outs ever. And it it really wears on pitchers. I think And, and they, they can beat you in a bunch of different ways. They have guys that can run the ball out of the park. Like they don't have a big time masher, but they have like five guys 10 plus homers and you know they have some guys that can run and it's just a nice diverse offense that that has a good plan of attack and executes it and they average seven runs a game you know so they they can score on you and you're gonna have to contend with that and the the pitching staff with Bednar and McLeod at the front has been really strong all year long, especially with, with, with Sims at the back end. And yeah, McLeod wasn't, wasn't great, um, you know, out of the second inning, obviously not the start he's looking for, but they had enough arms to, to overcome that. They brought 10 relievers to Omaha. I thought for sure we, well, I didn't think we'd see all of them, but and there was a time yesterday where I thought maybe we're going to see all 10. Wouldn't that be cool? But um, they didn't quite get there. They only got seven of them out there. But, you know, they all, for the most part, they all came in and did their job. You know, some of them better than others, sure. But, you know, they didn't allow, they, they allowed the offense time to, to get back into it. And they needed that time because Griff McGarry was really good. But that's, it's just the way Mississippi goes about this. Mississippi State goes about this. And, and they, uh, they have what it takes to win the national title here. I, I, I really believe that at this point that, you know, it's not going to be easy necessarily because it just feel, also feels like this team doesn't do much easy, uh, but they, they find a way that's that, that that's the way with this team. They've got the experience 
you know, they have played out here and, you know, they've, um, even in a bunch of big moments that they've already been in here, they just keep winning the moments, you know, every moment in the last two games, every big moment in the last two games, it just feels like Mississippi state has won. And, you know, that's how, that's a big part of winning the national championship is winning the big moments because, you know, there's just so much pressure playing in front of so many fans here. You get, if you can win the moments, you know, that's, uh, a lot of times it feels like that's that's enough on its own. Yeah, we talked about coming into the series that in a year when there isn't going to be a lot of carried over Omaha experience, Mississippi State has more than most, and that seems to be playing a role here. And I think as a segue to the other team that's sitting in 2-0, and uh, you know, I think one of the other key things that you allude to there is that, you know, when I get asked about what ends up making the difference in teams that make deep runs to Omaha and those that don't, a lot of times this sounds like a coaching cliche, but it, it's it's true, like on this kind of stage, in front of crowds bigger than you've ever played in front of, in moments bigger than you've ever had in your baseball career, like just kind of making the plays and doing what you need to do and, and not giving up outs and all like all those little things that that end up mattering a lot, like matter even more in Omaha. And a lot of times it's, it's it just comes down to that, like who's not giving up games, like who's not walking guys, who's not committing errors and. Mississippi State, while had they haven't, they, especially in the second game, they wasn't the cleanest pitching game, but they figured it out. But, you know, they, they do come up with big hits. They do come up with big defensive plays. And they just kind of find a way and, and don't they, – they make it difficult to beat them. And, again, that's a horrible cliche that I'm a little bit red in the face for even saying. But, um, but I think it, it rings true in this case. I think it really does. All right, you mentioned the other team, and that's North Carolina State. And I, I think a lot of the same things that we, we just talked about with Mississippi State can be can be said for the Wolfpack. They started with a win against Stanford, really got the offense going. They got to uh, Brandon Beck in a way that not too many teams have this year. Um, they, uh, they, they get that first win there on Saturday to open the World Series. And then, you know, facing Vanderbilt and Jack Leiter, they, as another classic game, they win one to nothing. Terrell Tatum sends a home run out to right field. It was, at the time, State's first hit of the game. It was in the fifth inning. Uh, Leiter was incredible. 15 strikeouts, eight innings, um, 14 strikeouts, a lot of strikeouts in eight innings. Just really the one swing of the bat was was all that that NC State had, but it was all they needed because Sam Heifel was matching lighter. Then Evan Justice comes in and, and finishes it off, and Vanderbilt's unable to to get its its own bats going, and and they lose one to nothing. And you know, it kind of the the way you have to beat Vanderbilt and Jack Leiter, he'll give up home runs. Usually they are just solo home runs because they're usually not too many people on base. And usually you think, well, solo home runs don't beat you. Well, in this case, that, that, that was what it did because NC state, um, you know, they played great defense. They, they pitched well and they, they kept Vanderbilt off the board. And I don't like I said coming into to the week that whatever happened in that bracket, which was Arizona, Vanderbilt, Stanford, and NC State. Whoever went 2-0, I would have believed it. And so, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that NC State went 2-0. What surprised me is how they beat Vanderbilt to, to win one to nothing 
uh, is not not what I would have had on my bingo card for that. Indeed, yeah. NC State's one of those formula teams, right? They, they have to follow a pretty narrow formula to get it done. We saw it in Fayetteville. And part of the formula, though, however, however is not uh, Sam Heifel doing what he did against Vanderbilt and just absolutely shutting that offense down. Uh, and in a lot of ways, outdoing Jack Leiter. Like, was it 95-mile-an-hour fastballs blown past guys? No. Was it 15 strikeouts? No. Um, no it was none of that. Um, but man, he, he, I mean, I think it was two hits. Um, like he was just really, really on his game and he really has been for the last four weeks in particular, he, you know, Elliot Aitman will tell you he's been consistent all year and he's not wrong, but like the last four weeks have been like on another level for Sam Heifel. Uh, and this was the kind of the crowning achievement of that. So this was not like, you know, beating Jack Leiter in the way he did and NC state winning with one single solo home run, you know, in some ways it was kind of similar to the win they got against Arkansas in game three, where Johnny Butler hit an early home run, but then, you know, Kevin Kopp settles in and Jose Torres has one big swing of the bat late in that game. So in some ways it was a little reminiscent of that, but you know, even that it's like they, they, they got two home runs, you know, this, this was one, literally one swing of the bat for NC state was enough to get it done, which you would never have bet on being the cases consistent to Sam Heifel has been, and, and oh, by the way, as inconsistent as Vanderbilt can be offensively sometimes, you would have never guessed that. So it's... Well, I, think I mean, in Vanderbilt, yeah, inconsistent offensively at times, but also hadn't been shut out since 2019. <laughs> right, yeah, there's that. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the easy and There's to, just a swing between, like, three runs and eight runs sometimes. Right. <laughs> They're going to score runs. Like, that's... It's a good offense. It just did... They, they had nothing. So, like, the easy thing to say is look at these two wins and say, well, hey, they're, they're following the formula. You know, they got a solid start from Reed Johnston and cleaned up by Evan Justice in the game one win. And then in game two, they got a really good start from Sam Heifel and Justice cleaned it up again. But, like, but no, those are two different wins, you know. Um, yes, they have only used three pitchers in two wins, which is exactly what they were looking for. But the way they went about those two wins are very, very different. And I don't think the win we saw against Vanderbilt was, I don't think, was necessarily in their playbook. <laughs> they'll, they'll take it. But I don't think that's necessarily what they expected or were looking for in that spot. Yeah, I just think that's like the extreme example of it that we haven't seen very often. But like it, it follows the formula. It just they, they followed it even better than you could ever really have, have hoped to. And, um, you know, we've made a lot out of the idea that state only has four or five pitchers that they really want to really want to use here and well they've uh they've done it so far and you know they they now enter the bracket final in an outstanding position you know evan justice who has been the you know he's been their their dude out of the bullpen all season long he'll have gotten a couple days uh off um he he can handle the workload anyway so I, i i do think Joe, that that it's kind of imperative that state wins this as fast as possible, though, right? Like, if they, no matter what we're talking about here, whoever wins be- between Vanderbilt and Stanford, I, I do think it it behooves NC State to try and finish this thing on Friday. That that they don't want to go into into a, a Saturday situation. Yeah, they really don't. I mean, there are some. I mean, the short answer is you're right. I mean, they, they, they really don't because the balance of power does really shift if whoever comes out of, of the game, um, you know, tonight ends up facing NC State here in a couple of days. 
uh, I think that for various reasons, the, the balance would shift there. There are some narrow scenarios that aren't the worst thing in the world. For, like if if they do the the, the kind of loss that Texas lost against Mississippi State, where like Matt Willidson, for example, throws the ball really well and they only use justice again. And then like they can maybe start Chris Villeman in the next well, game. Well, is, you know? like, is that better or is um, is the Arkansas game one loss better? Oh, maybe. Yeah, because then you can really just empty the empty the back end of the bullpen and not even use Justice or Villaman, and then you could use the Justice Villaman combination in the last. Yeah, that's probably better because then you you really can't just go Justice Villaman. Probably. I mean, you also Justice should be able to bring back um, some of the starters for some. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you'll have Reed Johnston for something probably as much as you want him. Not that he's a nine inning guy, but um, I would guess that Reed Johnston certainly by Saturday, Reed Johnston would be available again. Uh, maybe we'll see him on Friday and Wilson out of the, out of the bullpen or, or in reserve for, for a game, uh, a second game on Saturday, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's just a, such a fascinating, like philosophical thing in coaching is when do you wave a white flag in a game like that? You know, like at what point do you start to realize that we need to cut bait here and we need to start thinking about tomorrow, you know? Um, As you stayed, found it out pretty quickly <laughs> yeah. day in Arkansas, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, maybe that, maybe that experience, ends up coloring some of the decision they make. Right. I mean, because they've been here before and they see that they can do it and the players would understand what they're doing in that moment. You know, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding there. So maybe that's one, like a little tiny, small infinitesimal thing that ends up mattering a little bit, but I think you're right. I mean, if you're, if you're going to lose, like you want it to be not really much of a question early on so that you can really start to make a pitching plan for the next day. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I think they have a, a decent shot to win on Friday. I mean, like, yeah, they could go to Wilson or they can go to Reed Johnston. I mean, that's a difficult decision uh, that everyone has to make because if you bring the guy back, I mean, and Johnston would be pitching on pretty regular rest there, but if, if he pitches on Friday, then, you know, when is he next going to be available in the championship series um, versus trying to get through with your number three and then, setting up the the finals as as good as it can be with your with your one and two that that's a decision that the state and the both states nc and mississippi both have to make now and um you know we'll see which way they direct it but but i i think that if uh i i don't see any reason why north carolina state can't win on friday night frankly i mean you know, if it's Vanderbilt, yeah, it's probably rocker and that's not going to be easy, but you already beat lighter. So, uh, you know, they're not going to be over overwhelmed by that. Um, you know, and if it's, uh, if it's Stanford, they're going to feel better about their pitching situation than, than Stanford will. I'm sure. I mean, even, even if though it will probably be Brandon Beck, I, I still think state will probably feel better, you know, knowing that their bullpen is fully rested. So it's, uh, it's setting up well for the Wolfpack. Obviously, that's what the format does, but it, it's it's definitely not done yet. Um, the the teams that are are still playing there will uh, will be ready to go come Friday and if necessary Saturday. Yeah, I mean that's the that's I think that the big picture thing I would say about NC State is that so far things really couldn't have gone any better. You know, realistically, right? I mean, uh, you you could nitpick and. Uh, here and there back to back no hitters right exactly but like they things really could not have gone better for nc state at this point they're you know they're doing it like by the way like you know coach avent dropped like this little tidbit like in the in the post game after the win against vanderbilt like you know we really need these couple of days off because like there's been a bug going around our locker room and like chris hart there's you know associate head coach has been sick for five or six days and 
you know, so it, it really does feel like this, this team's been playing sick for a few days, you know, not everybody's got it, I guess, but um, so a team that could use the rest, maybe we see a better version of them later this week, who knows, but like that just kind of adds, adds a little more to what's already been a pretty impressive run. I, I think he just means the winning bug has been going around the lot. That's right. You know, every, yeah. The winning bug, catch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, all right, Joe, those are, those are the teams that are, are playing on Friday already, Mississippi State and North Carolina State. Let's now talk about uh, the two teams that are, are going home already, and those are, those are Arizona and Tennessee. I guess let's, uh, let's start with the Wildcats. They, they, they were in that bracket uh, with Vanderbilt and uh, NC State and, and Stanford, and Arizona and Vanderbilt played I keep saying there are all these classic games. There were there were been some really great games here in Omaha. And Saturday night, Arizona and Vanderbilt was pretty hyped. You know, Arizona, best offense in the country versus Kamar Rocker. And uh, it kind of delivered on that. But more than anything, it just delivered on being a great college baseball game. And Vanderbilt won in 12 innings, 7 to 6. And then I don't know if there was any sort of emotional hangover for the Wildcats, but on uh, a Monday afternoon, they, they did not play quite as well against Stanford. The uh, Stanford offense really got to them a little bit there and um, kind of blew, made a comfortable win out of, out of that Monday elimination game. And Arizona goes 0-2 here in Omaha. I wrote about how, Arizona still has like a, a pretty bright future and it was a really impressive season for them to have gotten here. They won the PAC 12 for the first time since 2012 and, and, and won the PAC 12 outright for the first time since the nineties. Uh, they made a trip to Omaha for the second time in five seasons for the first time since the eighties. Uh, you know, as much success historically as Arizona has as a program, so much of it is concentrated under Jerry Kendall. And, you know, they've, they have the national title in 12. They've never, you know, really gone away as, as PAC 12 contenders, but as on the national stage, they feel like they're, they're back in a really good place here under Jay Johnson. Uh, But it it was, it was just an impressive season. Uh, You know, this is, they were the number five overall seed for a reason. They were the Pac-12 champions for a reason. And somebody's got to go 0-2 in Omaha, and it, it was them. But um, I, I think they I, – I just think it was an impressive impressive year for the Wildcats. You look at what the offense could do, best offense in the country, averaging like eight and a half runs per game. Uh, it, that, that was really impressive. But the, the way the pitching developed over the course of the season, I thought was very impressive as well, particularly when you're talking about – uh, the way that their their bullpen came together, the, the the rotation basically was the rotation, and you know, still Seth improved probably over the course of the the season, and probably Irvin as well. But uh, you know, the the thing that really stood out to me in, in terms of the pitching was just the way that they they built a really strong and deep bullpen, um, so that they they had uh, they they had that backing the, those those starters. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons for optimism is like, I don't want to take anything away from Silseth improving and, you know, Garrett Irvin had hit these big moments kind of sprinkled throughout, but it really did feel like the the future of the Arizona state pitching staff was on the roster this year. It just wasn't quite ready yet. You know, when you talk about Chandler Murphy or TJ Nichols, guys like that, 
that are going to be kind of the next stars of this Arizona pitching staff and might bring about a time when the pitching is a little more even with the offense, even if I think Arizona, especially under Jay Johnson, is just going to be an offensive outfit more often than not. And this, this is one of those Omaha trips that, look, these guys are competitors. They're disappointed that there are some players on this team that aren't going to be around next year. Um, but I do think this is one of those Omaha trips that there is a lot of good to be had and what they accomplished and, and what they're still working towards here. So nobody wants to go 0 and 2, especially a team like Arizona. Like that team could have made a deeper run. This wasn't a, a situation where it's like just kind of happy to be here and hey, let's build on this. But there, as you wrote, there are a lot of reasons for optimism. I think the arrow is pointing way up here for Arizona. And so I think some of that disappointment ends up being mitigated a little bit by the fact that like, hey, look, we, you know, we've got this thing going in a really, really good direction here. Um, even as we might lose a player here or there, I think there's there's really nothing but but good feelings about the overall direction of the program at this point. I mean, you, you look at it and Dante Williams and Ryan Holgate are, are probably gone from from the outfield and Brandon Bossier is, is probably gone. It's the first baseman. She's still Seth, probably gone. And then like everyone else is, that, that is draft eligible is kind of a maybe, maybe Kobe Cato, you know, maybe, maybe Garrett Irvin. We'll see. Um, but you know, the, 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 there are replacements for these players already on campus. And in, in a lot of ways, like Chase Davis was a huge recruit coming out of high school, top 100 recruit did not start much. You know, they did a good job of keeping him involved all season long. And, you know, it, he seems like a ready-made replacement for Ryan Holgate in right field. Um, or maybe he plays center field. I don't know, but what, what, you'll see him in one of those two spots almost, almost certainly. And, you know, they, they, they just recruited really high level. Like I, I think that, you know, if you're looking for a program to play the foil for UCLA at the top of the pac 12 for, you know, the, the immediate term, I, I think this is who you're looking at. Like, I like what Oregon did this year. Um, I think Stanford has been really consistent, but you know, if, if I'm, if I'm really looking at like who is going to, you know, step up and, and, and be the foil for UCLA. I mean, I, I think it's the Wildcats and, you know, I, we'll, we'll see what happens this off season, you know, who, who gets to campus, who winds up getting drafted, you know, all the rest of that. But I, I, I do like where Arizona is and uh, it was a season to be celebrated. Yeah. They probably came here thinking they could win the national title and that would be a wholly realistic expectation considering that they were, the number five overall seed and had won the Pac-12 and had this great offense and had a pitching staff they probably felt pretty good about. But, uh, you know, re regardless of all of that, I, I still think this is a season to be celebrated, especially when you consider that, you know, okay, yeah, they made it here in 16 and they played for the national title and then they made it back to the tournament in 17. They went one and two in regionals. And then in 18 and 19, they were just on the wrong side of the bubble. If you ask Jay Johnson, um, he'll tell you that they feel like last year in the canceled season, they had an Omaha team. They just weren't the season was canceled. Um, so they came into this year with something to prove and they went out and they did it. And I, I yeah, I just think you got to feel really good about this season and about the overall direction. All right, Joe, the other team that went 0-2 Another team that you can feel pretty darn good about the overall direction, I think that's saying the least, is Tennessee. The Vols had maybe their two worst games of the season uh, on this stage. But, you know, despite that, despite losing six to nothing to Virginia in the opener, offense did not get going. And then, you know, they uh, 
again, did lost to Texas. Uh, they're in the elimination game. Tanner Witt really shut them down. It was a close game for a few innings, and then Tanner Witt uh, shut down the Tennessee offense, and, and Texas got to the Tennessee bullpen in a way that few teams have all season long. Um, Tennessee goes 0-2. First Omaha trip since 2005, though. They win 50 games. Uh, hard, hard to feel anything, but th- this season was a real total success and you know a disappointing ending but this was the year that the Tennessee had been waiting for for the last 16 years yeah, I think it's a season that proves you know if nothing else that Tennessee can win big in, in in this version of the SEC a lot has changed in terms of what the SEC is in college baseball since the last time Tennessee was on this stage. So just the, you know, just putting that proof of concept out there that like, look, you can win at this level at, at Tennessee. And there are some disadvantages right now. I mean, they're in the process of trying to change some of those, I guess I'm speaking specifically of the facility situation, you know, in the process of trying to get that remedied, but there are some disadvantages that Tennessee's working with. And yet they, you know, they are still able to win at this level in the sec and in college baseball. And that's huge in this program at Pete Durke in the, the post game after the, the eliminating loss said, you know, Tennessee baseball is back. And, and now it's on this program to kind of, to prove that this wasn't kind of a one-off and to your point, I think there should be a lot of optimism. They can continue that most notably with the recruiting. Um, they, they continue to recruit really well. Although this one is a little, you know, there are, I think this one a little more so perhaps than Arizona um, might be a team that we look at as, as maybe a step back next year before they crescendo again. I think the team next year should still be pretty good, but you're talking about there's a handful of holdovers, you know, from the pre Vitello years, frankly, on this roster that are matriculating out. Um, they've got some draft risks, Chad Dallas, Max Ferguson, Jake Rucker. I'm sure I'm missing a name or two there, but, um, but when you look at Jordan Beck back in the outfield, Drew Gilbert back in the outfield, Blake Tidwell to lead the rotation, there are some really, really nice pieces in place. And because it was a little bit of a more experienced team this year, there are probably some younger players lurking that will come into bigger roles that we just haven't seen so far. So um, the other thing, of course, is that, you know, Tennessee feels like it's in a little more of a tenuous place because until I think this is my estimation and until shovels kind of hit the ground on renovations to Lindsay or rebuild or all new, all new stadium, in Knoxville to replace Lindsey Nelson stadium. Uh, there is going to continue to be speculation about Tony Vitello and other big time jobs in the sec. And a couple of them are closing in this cycle. And maybe that'll be a couple bullets dodged from Tennessee standpoint. Um, but those questions are going to continue to get asked as long as he continues to win big in Knoxville. And so I think that'll be something that I think is just a reality until some of the improvements happen around, around that program. So that is a question they'll have to, I think, continue to deal with, but, the, the trajectory here is, is a good one and it's, um, but you got to work for it. I mean, that's the other complicating factor here is that the SEC is just tough and no one is guaranteed, you know, uh, I don't want to draw this comparison because it's not perfect, but, you know, Kentucky gets to a super regional. It's this big breakthrough moment a few years ago in 2017. And since then things just haven't gone as well as they would have hoped. So you, you, you do have to kind of continue to earn it time and again, not that you don't in the PAC 12, but you understand what I'm saying there. It's just like in the SEC, it doesn't take much for you to fall behind. So Tennessee's on a very good trajectory here. I, you know, I wrote that on the site after yesterday's elimination game, um, but they're going to have to continue to work for it. And, and I think in 2022, um, they're going to have to do a little bit of retooling. It'll be fascinating to see what the 2022 team looks like, because I think that'll give us a good picture of what the jumping off point is, what the starting point is for this next group. And, and, if, and if, if they start with a team 
that ends up being in a position to get here again next year, then I think we know that we've got maybe a juggernaut on our hands developing. Um, anything less than that, obviously, will recalibrate, but I think it's just going to be really fascinating. Yeah, this team was pretty old uh, when you look at it. So many, so many veterans that had been around for a while and yeah, we'll see where, where some of these guys end up going or not going. And again, they have a good recruiting class um, on paper right now, headlined by Brady House, who is going to be a top 10 pick and definitely not going to Knoxville, <laughs> um, barring any major draft day surprise. So who, who do they get on campus? You know, what, what does it look like? And then, yeah, I mean, t- like, like you said, it, until there's an announcement that, they're renovating Lindsey Nelson stadium and Tony Vitello has been extended. Like speculation is going to continue. It's really hard to hire a sitting sec head coach. Hasn't been done since John Cohen left Kentucky for his alma mater, Mississippi state in 2008. But if I was going to draw up a scenario, it it might be this one, you know, you have uh, a school that, that needs to make needs to step up and make a commitment to a baseball program that, that it hasn't in a long time. Now, that being said, I really expect that Tennessee will. Uh, they saw the fan support. They, they saw what it was like. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. But as, like, sitting here on June 23rd, the way that it looks, you gotta, you, you got to be really excited about the future. And, you know, that's not something that the Tennessee's been able to say for – quite some time and I don't think they're going to be waiting 16 years for their next Omaha trip um the way the way that they did since 2005 and um you know are are they are they going to go head to head for the SEC East with Florida and Vanderbilt every year no probably not uh not right now that's that's still a couple years away from doing that on an annual basis I would expect but I I don't think they need to take a, a massive step back next year, even considering some of the the losses that they're certainly going to take um, in, in player personnel. So we'll we'll see where where the balls go from here. But but certainly exciting times this season in Knoxville. I mean they're fourth in the country in home runs. Just a lot of it was a fun team to watch ultimately. Uh, and and I think part of that is aided by the fact that there were so many veterans. It was a familiar team in a lot of ways. And, and you just saw the, the fruits of their labor to, uh, to keep working. And, and the other thing to remember about Tennessee is that, you know, they dealt with some, uh, some injuries along the way. You know, Jackson Leith was supposed to be a huge part of this team. And, you know, he, they, he threw like 1.2 innings before he got hurt or something. So, you know, they, they dealt with some stuff, they worked through some stuff and, and they, they got to this point and, and um, incredibly, incredibly well done job by, uh, by the whole team. Uh, Joe, before we move on from Tennessee, Peyton Manning came to Omaha, and uh, and that was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Um, I don't know if like there's some sort of like um, there was some joking going on with some of the, the the Tennessee beat that was there. That I don't know if there's some sort of like bad juju when when yeah Peyton he has Manning some terrible record. Or... Yeah, I, I don't I don't know the exact record, but it, it it's a it's a bad situation when. Uh, in terms of wins and losses when Peyton Manning's in the house. Yeah. They, they saw him on the screen and said, well, I guess we can book our flights home now. Um, <laughs> so, and, and unfortunately for Tennessee, he was, they ended up being correct about that. So, uh, but yeah, no, it is cool. I mean, that's one of the, one of the great things about this, if I can be earnest for a second, which is something I'm not always good at. Like one of the great things about this event is that it does because it's on ESPN 
proper very often or one of the tangential channels there but because it's on ESPN actual television and has been for years and years and years being at the College World Series does penetrate through to generic sports fans it really engages alumni beyond just the people who care about baseball like so it really is a big opportunity for these schools so um to see stuff like that is is really kind of neat um and it's a, it's a big deal for these programs to to kind of get those those types of people out to the ballpark because that that draws more and more people into college baseball even if even if the college world series is as far as they're willing to go into college baseball he also did a really cool video with uh, Tony Vitello, of course, Manning when he was playing. I think this was a thing that he picked up in Denver, but maybe he was doing it in Indy where he would, um, one of his audible words was Omaha. So he yelled Omaha like a billion times a game because Payne Manning is forever changing the play at the line of scrimmage. Uh, like seriously, I wonder what ordering lunch with Payne Manning is like. But anyway, I digress. Um, so he yelled Omaha a bunch and, and he and, he and Tony got to yell Omaha a bunch in a, a pretty cool promotional video. So yeah, just to to have that opportunity, that, that stuff like that is for the program and for the university. I mean, it's it's incalculable. Like that that you have this uh, this video that you can share with your fans, you can share with recruits, you can share with whoever you want. Like oh, here's Payne Manning and our head coach, like getting really excited about baseball. Like that's uh, it, you, you love to see that no matter no matter where it's happening um you know anytime the most famous alum of a university can engage with the the head coach in in a fun manner like that i'm uh i'm absolutely all in on that uh all right that uh that'll just about do it i think for us today i i guess i would be remiss though if um you know we just talked about tennessee in, in this glowing light i don't want to harp on it but joe there there was a uh, an interesting moment yesterday in, in terms of the ejection of, of Ross Kivett. There was a binder thrown. Umpiring in this World Series has been spotty, I guess I would say. Um, but uh, that was, uh, you just don't see an ejection in the College World Series very often. Yeah, you really don't. And, you know, I try to extend some grace to umpires. It's a hard job. Like, we all get that. But this one, you're right to say the umpiring has been a little bit, a little bit spotty. And in, in this case, it, it felt like, you know, I wonder if in a in a private moment after the game, the third base umpire in the game that, that ejected Ross Kivett kind of thought like, man, I, you know, maybe overstepped a little bit there um, because he, you know, it was one of those deals where, you know, Kivett, depending on who you ask, he wasn't even necessarily upset at the umpire in that moment. He might have been upset with with one of his own players, but, he you know, he slams his hands down on the dugout railing and third base umpire comes over and like runs across the, the field to go eject Ross Kivett. It just felt like an overreach and a overreaction to something that might not have even been directed at the umpires. And it's worth noting too, that that wasn't an isolated incident. Tennessee had been unhappy with calls leading up to that. So the, the umpires were probably yeah, a little bit exasperated with the situation. And I get that. So there were other circumstances that went into it, but it, it did feel like a little bit of a little bit of an overreaction there, but at least we, we did get a, a memeable and, and gifable moment there, uh, which is, which is always nice levity. The uh, also in that game, the home plate umpire was getting on Texas about home run celebrations and making sure they stayed as far back from the plate as he wanted them to on the, yeah, I just, not a not a great showing from that crew for me, but I think, uh, I think we should let the players come out and do like a like a conga line around the bases of when their <laughs> when their teammates hit home runs. You should be able to run out on the field and conga line with the guy who hit the home run if that's what you want to do. That's my official stance on it. 
That's uh, that's a stance that Joe Healy endorses. I mean, you have to do uh, it efficiently. Speak. Like we can't stop the game for five minutes. <laughs> like you have to be get to be quick about it. But I think you should be able to do it. We'll uh, we'll, we'll take that up under advisement. Uh, run that up the flagpole today and and, and see where it lands. If uh, if you do have have thoughts about that, send them to Joe Healy. He's on Twitter at Joe Healy BA. Um, so yeah, Joe, I, another week here in Omaha to go. Should be more very compelling games. I, th- this field has has been great. The the, the play has, has been great to this point. So excited to see where it goes from here. Before we go, though, you know, we, we gave predictions at the start. Um, let's uh, let's check back in on those. Are you how, how are you feeling? I, I believe you selected Vanderbilt. Uh, do you see Vanderbilt coming out of the losers bracket here? Uh, or if not, wh- wh- which way are you leaning right now? Gotcha. This is this is all a while you think about that. This is all just a scheme for us to be able to say like, oh, we have another national title pick. I, just another opportunity for us to to pick a team and then later be able to say I was right. That that's what this is right now. It's it's a total racket. You know, I'm I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm just going to double down, and then maybe the, that Vanderbilt to you know to win the elimination game and then to come back and win a couple of games against NC State, get to the title round, then we'll then we'll see what happens. Why not? And I say that in part, admittedly, because to your point, like, I don't know, man, like these teams all feel really, really evenly matched and like anything, like it's, it's always true, but it seems more true this year that absolutely anything can happen here. I would believe any result on the table, honest to goodness, any of these six teams who are left as we record today could win this thing. And I would not be shocked. And that's, that's a beautiful thing, but it's not so great for us making picks. I, I would agree with that. I might stop short of Stanford. I just, that's fair. That, that, the way that the they've one. pitched here has not excited me considering yeah. who they're going to have to go through. Um, I mean, that being said, they could win a few games still, but I, I, I would, I would find it hard to believe that they have, they have to win three straight now. I, that would, that would surprise me at this point. Um, I picked Texas coming into this. I think the horns, like you're talking about with Vanderbilt, they, I mean, they, we, we talked about it. They have the pitching to do it. Uh, I still feel good about the Lawrence. Now the, the format at this point is not favorable though. And at this point, I, I, I think I might lean Mississippi state. I, I think that, you know, like early in the game yesterday, I was thinking, wow, Mississippi state, you know, just again, you know, coming close and, and not quite getting there, but you know, they come back and they win that game, just the way they're winning moments right now, it feels like this is a special time for Mississippi state. It feels like they've got something going and the format is, is now wholly in their favor with uh, them just needing to win one of their next two games to, to play in the finals. And uh, the way their bullpen pitched uh, that, it, that was exciting uh, to see. It was, uh, it, was, it was big time stuff from, from those relievers. And, you know, right now I, I think that uh, I think that I'm feeling the Bulldogs. I mean, I think that's uh, you know, like, if you're forcing me to go pick one of the two and O teams, I think that's the direction I go. It's a team that has really just like, yes, they, they didn't seem like they really fully stacked up against teams like Arkansas in the regular season. But like, for the most part, if we said it time and again, it's a team that, that just figures out ways to win games. And like, I guess there's really no point in not in thinking that that's going to change at this stage, because if you can, if you can do that kind of in the rigors of the SEC, like you can do that here. So, um, you know, I think that's a perfectly defensible and reasonable choice. I mean, the other thing about that is that, yeah, they played Vanderbilt and they lost already in a series this year. And like that could be their finals matchup. But 
the Vanderbilt that they're going to play, if that were the matchup, is not a Vanderbilt that's perfectly aligned for a weekend. You know, they're going to have to throw Rocker either on Friday or Saturday, um, probably on Friday. And then maybe they'll have lighter. Maybe they won't have lighter um, in the in the finals right away. So we'll uh, we'll see how Vanderbilt does its pitching from here. But it's because Vanderbilt's now in the losers bracket. Like they're they're not going to come out of this with a clean one two rocker lighter punch that that you saw from them all season long. And, and so that just kind of totally changes the equation of what Vanderbilt is and how you beat them. So if it were that, even you know and, and um, that's, that's not what Mississippi state's brief will be. They won't have to beat those guys, uh, be one of those guys to get to a third game necessarily. So, uh, that, that totally changes how whoever comes out of the, you know, whether it's Texas or, or Mississippi state or, or Virginia, they're not going to have to worry about, about facing that, that tremendous one, two punch, uh, right out of the gate in the finals. So, uh, you know, just something to think about when, 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 when you're stacking up like, well, Mississippi State lost, you know, they lost Arkansas in a series and it wasn't really all that close. And then they went up to, to Nashville and they, they lost like, well, yeah, all of that's that's true. And uh, that wasn't great in the regular season, but that's that's not going to be the, the scenario here here in Omaha. All righty. Covered a lot of ground here. I feel like we'll have we'll be back here on the Baseball America College podcast uh, at the start of next week. Don't know whether that'll be on Sunday or Monday to look for the podcast. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll try and get it out there uh, as, with as much time ahead of the finals as, as we can. But when we next talk to you, we will have the finals matchup set and we will be back here on the Baseball America College podcast previewing the College World Series finals. So make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. You can find us, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate it all. We appreciate everyone that's stuck with us throughout the season. It's hard to believe that uh, you know, in a week, we uh, the, the, the college season will be over. But until then, we've got a lot of great baseball to go. We'll have it all covered for you over at BaseballAmerica.com. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting this edition of the Baseball America College podcast and every edition. We will be back here uh, over the weekend to, to preview the finals. Until then, we'll see you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.